0: Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who through the was, who through, though, sorry, (laughs) who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father.
1: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to that same text that Lisa just read for us. It's page 980 if you're using one of the Bibles uh, provided for you there in the seats of Philippians chapter 2. My son asked me earlier, he's like, do you mind that people are giving you the candy corn and stuff like this, you know? I said, no, I love it because it just shows that there's a relationship that we can tease each other and have a good time. So uh, I appreciate the banter. It's great. Last week we started this uh, sermon series and... um, um, you know, we gave a little bit of the background of the book and how the church got started. So if you didn't catch that background, I encourage you to maybe catch last week's sermon online or something like that, and uh, you can get all the background on that. But by summary, we did talk about how Paul had a prayer here, he had a unique perspective, and then he had a plea. And And we're going to build off this last point uh, in this text here, okay, where we're at. Um, when you see in verse, verse 1 of chapter 2 when it says, so, if there's any encouragement, this idea of he's, he's, he's continuing a thought, right? So, so uh, we ended last week with this idea of uh, live up to your name and remember your calling. We saw this in uh, verse 27 of chapter 1, uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, this was a church that Paul loved. These were people that they were close and they had a, a, a very special relationship. And so he says, this is what I want you. I want you to live up to your name. Okay. But then he says, remember your calling in the sense of verse 29, when he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And so this is this is what we're called to. We're called to believe in God, but then there's also an element of suffering as well. And so he 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 continued this idea of what his desire is for this Philippian church here. But there's a there's a command here, and this is all by way of introduction here. Look at verse two of chapter two that was just read for us. Uh, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind." Okay, and so this this is the command. This is a uh, there's two commands in our text today that are in the imperative, verbs that are in the imperative, and this one is, is the first one where it says, complete my joy. I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, remember who wrote this book. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And I want you to think for a second that we know some of the things that he's also said. In fact, in chapter 4, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you what it says in chapter 4, is that he says that he's learned to be content in all situations. So this is the guy that says you know, he seems to be unflappable. This is the guy that on missionary journeys, they would beat him, okay, like an Iconium. And then what he would do, they would leave him outside the city for dead. They thought he was dead. They had stoned him, and they thought he was dead. He was beaten so bad that they thought he was dead. And so this is the guy who then gets up and goes back into the city to keep preaching to them, okay? This is, this is, this is the Apostle Paul here. This is, it seems like nothing can face this guy in some ways. He's content in all situations, you know, all this but yet here he says that his joy is incomplete. Did you catch that? Complete my joy. He's he's looking to, in in this letter here, he's saying there's a thank you note for the gift that they had sent him. They had sent him some support because he's under house arrest. And he says, thank you so much for this. But in this letter, he says, I want you to complete my joy. So thanks for the gift. I want you to complete my joy. So what was it he needed? He needed this joy to be completed. And here's the thing, where did he turn? Where did he turn to to get that joy completed? He didn't didn't turn to clubs and teams and workplace and things like this. He turned to the church, and that should be instructive to us. So, as we go throughout this session or this this, uh, sermon today, uh, here's what I would hope to to communicate is kind of a summary point would be this: It's really impossible to have joy without unity, because that's what he's going to unpack. Okay, it's impossible to have joy without unity. And that's what I want us to kind of think on for the next few minutes and then throughout the week here. But let me pause, ask God's blessing as, uh, uh, as, as we begin here. Father, um, it's, it's an opportunity for us to open the Word now and to, to think about it and to meditate on the Scriptures a little bit here. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity, God. I, I pray that we would not take this for granted. I, I think sometimes because it's so commonplace that we do, we, we just, this is what we do. On Sunday, we get up and go and listen to someone talk about the Scriptures for a little bit. Then we go home and go on with our day. But God, I pray that we would just stop and understand what a gift this is to discuss your Word and to, to study your Word and to have access to it, God. So God, I pray that as I communicate and you've given me this awesome privilege and this responsibility to stand before these people who I care for and to teach the word. God, I want to do this in a way that's faithful to your word and to the text here that has just been read. So I need your spirit to help me with that. Uh, we need your Spirit's help to keep us from distraction and to focus and to understand. One of the roles, Holy Spirit, is to, uh, your role is to, to illuminate the Scriptures to us. The, the Bible teaches us that. So that's what we're asking that would happen today, is that as we look at this text of Scripture, Spirit of God, we just ask that you would help us understand this in a way that would be very helpful to us and meaningful, and that not only just as individuals, but as a, as a church. And that we would grow as a result of spending time in your Word together today. These are things that only your Spirit can do. And, and so we, we depend on you for, for this and all things. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so I said it's impossible to have joy without unity. That's what we're going to unpack a little bit here. So let's talk about this idea of joy for a few minutes here. First of all, this text in the beginning of it, it was a little bit harder to outline for me in some ways. Just because this is a really robust text, and i've got one week to kind of cover this one here because of just the way the schedule is but uh you know there we could have spent in this section these eleven verses we could have spent you know six months on, honestly. So I, I feel almost like I'm, I'm not doing the text justice here today. Um, and it's just, you know, some sermons you can go deep and some sermons you just got to kind of hit the, the, the topic, the, the top side of it. But uh, and that's what we're going to do today. So, but as we're looking at this idea, the idea of joy, I think what Paul is communicating here in the first few verses of chapter two is this, is kind of like a, a prerequisite for joy. Okay. Now, the reason why I say that is because he says, listen, here's what I want you to do is he says, I want you, to walk, manner of life, uh, uh, worthy of the gospel, the end of chapter 1, and then we know that this command is coming in chapter 2, verse 2, about complete my joy, but he says and he starts out this chapter by saying, so if there is, and he gives four things here, now, the one thing you need to understand about this is the way that this is written, when it says if, it's not so much about the idea of, well, I don't know if it's true or not, if. It's more of a sense of if, and a sense of I know it to be true, so therefore you need to do this. So it's kind of, you know, uh, we use this today as well, you know, um, you know, I mean, if the lions are playing today are going to lose you know those type of things you know it's like we just know we can assume the, the 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 end of it right okay that's what he's doing here with this so the first is he says if there's any encouragement in Christ okay so the first thing he talks about is Christ's encouragement here is the very first thing that he talks about here he says listen this is how you're going to have joy you, you want to complete my joy he says he's you have what it takes okay that you have the pre- prerequisites I remember when I was in college I took a course uh, I signed up for the course I asked the registrar it was a senior level course I was a sophomore and I asked if I could take the course and um, uh, because the professor was retiring, and i 'd heard that it would be a good course, and it was been his last year teaching it, so I went to the registrar 's office i said i know i 'm a sophomore, um, but um, I wonder if I could sign up for this course. They gave me the, the green light the green light, so I did first day of class i 'm um, in there, and this is a, this, this professor had been teaching at the college, i think f- uh, since it started in one thousand nine hundred and sixty eight okay and so he was there a long time and um, uh when the course of the conversation he was asking people where they were and things like this and i mentioned that i was a sophomore and he got upset he actually kind of got upset he was why are you in this class i said well because i wanted to take it from you he says but you don't have the prerequisites i said well the registrar thought i did and so i could i could take it and and he was highly irritated totally changed the way I viewed the course by the way and so um, I end up taking the course and truth be known it really wasn't that good of course but nonetheless the point is is that he was upset that I did not have what he thought was the prerequisites to take his esteemed course okay Um, but the reality is what Paul is saying here is he's saying listen what I'm about to ask you to do you have what it takes You've already have what you need in order to do what I'm asking you to do. That's what he's getting at here, okay? So he says, You have the encouragement of Christ. You have Christ's encouragement. What he's saying is, He's saying, Listen, you're a believer in Christ. You just think about what Christ has done for you. You see what he's done for you. It has to just encourage you so much that it spills over into other believers here. He says, look at what Christ has accomplished for you. He, you know that you're, you're, you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. You've looked to Him for salvation. Not only His accomplishments, but look at His promises. He says, look, just, just look what Christ has promised you. He says that He will never forsake you. He will never forsake you. And then, then we read in the scripture reading today, uh, I think Rob read it during the, in between the songs, about how the, when Jesus says He's going to go away, and He's going to send a comforter, Right? And he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And one of the beautiful things about that text, that's like John 14, John 15, is that we see this ministry of the Holy Spirit, Of that not only was the Holy Spirit going to come when Jesus went away, but he was going to be in us. And so if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And so what, this is the encouragement that, that, he's, that, that Paul is saying. He says, listen, this is Christ's encouragement, okay? You should be encouraged by what he's promised you, by what he's accomplished for you. He says, if you know those things, then you have what it takes to complete my joy, okay? If you know that to be true about what Christ has done, you have what it takes. But he doesn't stop there. He gives four of them. The second one is that when he talks about it, he says not only Christ's encouragement, he says love's comfort there. He says if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, right? Okay, so here we have, and this is really, most scholars understand this to be talking about God's love, okay? And so the Father's love, and so we have Christ's encouragement, we have the Father's love here on display here. And so he's basically asking these Philippian people, he says, I want you to think about this for a second. This is what you have, you have this, you are assured of God's love. John wrote, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say that you'll be called the children of God. He says, and so you are. So he says, you are a child of God." And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, this is what you have. This is true of you. If you're a believer in Christ, you own this already. So when I'm about ready to unload this, this request, you to complete my joy, I'm just telling you, you have what it takes, okay? You have the assurance of God's love in your life. God has loved you. I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, you heard me in my prayer. So many times I think that we just, we just gloss over these things and these theological truths, particularly if you've grown up in church. And you know this to be true, most of you know this to be true of me, that I, I grew up attending church. I'm so grateful for my parents who, from the earliest age, they said, you're going to church. And we just went to church. I mean, that was back in the days we had Sunday night church too, right? And so we'd go Sunday morning, we'd go Sunday night. And it was great. I just loved it, you know? I mean, there was times, of course, I didn't feel like it. There was times like if, if you know, on a Sunday afternoon and you know, the football game was still on or something like that. My parents are napping. I was really hoping that they'd oversleep, you know. Um, you know. But they didn't, never, okay. And we went to church. And I was so much better for it, right? Okay, you see, you see all this stuff that, that that is just a commonplace, I just know about God, know about all these things. It's easy for someone like me who's just grown up in church to just kind of just, I don't know, yawn at it a little bit Wendy and I were talking earlier about a book that she just got here I don't know the book okay but the, the title the concept of it is like yawning at tigers okay it's like you know this idea you don't yawn in the face of a tiger you know if a tiger comes up to you you know you're like, oh, another day another tiger <laughs> you know I mean no you're gonna be captivated by this how much more so was God how much more so was God and so this is what Paul is trying to remind the Philippians of. So encouragement to Christ, okay? Love of the Father here. But then he talks about spiritual partnerships here. He says the idea of this any participation in the spirit. Participation is Greek word there koinonia, which has the idea of fellowships or partnerships right there, okay? We see this as idea where we get this idea of communion. So sometimes the Lord's Supper is called communion, comes from the same word here, okay? From 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 11. This idea of this idea of participation. That's why we do this together here, okay? But here, what, what, what Paul is saying, he says, listen, here's, I'm, I'm asking you to complete my joy. I need, There's something lacking inside me, and I need you. I need you, the church, to complete this in me, and here's how I know that you can do it. It's because you have the encouragement of Christ. You have the love of the Father. You have spiritual partnerships that have been given to you. This is what has been given, and so I know that you can complete my joy. The Spirit is at work. And so, if you're a believer in Christ, what well, of the things that God has given to you it's spiritual partnerships. So we got to take advantage of it. But just like, you know, we can be ho hum about God's love, we can be the same about spiritual partnerships. We can ignore them, we cannot prioritize them. Fourthly, there's a fourth one that Paul gives here as a prerequisite here is affectionate sympathy. He says, this is the way that God changes us. He says, this idea of it, he says, hey, you know, if any affection and sympathy complete my joy. What I love about this is what he's insinuating here is he's not talking about just a certain type of personality that could complete his joy. He's not looking for, okay, listen, I know, you know, some of the outgoing ones, some of the, you know, the huggers in the church, okay, complete my joy, okay, you know, if you're a hugger, okay, but you know, the more standoffish ones and things like this, you know, okay, well, you know, whatever. No, he's saying, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, he's saying, I know you have what it takes to complete my joy. Because God changes us that we should have some affectionate sympathy towards one another. That is a byproduct of the spirit of of God at work. Now, it doesn't mean we're all huggers, right? Truth be known, I'm a hugger. Okay, you can hug me anytime you want. doesn't matter to me. But not everyone is. That's fine. But the point is, is that we should have this affectionate sympathy towards one another, thinking about each other. Trying to, trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Another word we could use is empathy, right? There's a little different take on it. So all this to say, as, as Paul is getting to his main command here in the text of complete my joy, he's saying, you have what it takes. And he's looking to the church. He's not looking anywhere else. He's not looking to government. He's not looking to society. He's not looking to the teams, the local chess club. He's not looking to anything. What he's looking to is he's looking to the church, the people he loves. And he says, you need to complete my joy. And I know you have what it takes. You have the encouragement from Christ. You have God's love. You have spiritual partnerships. You have affectionate sympathy. And this is all displayed by the gifts that they gave him. He says, complete my joy. And so... As we're going to unpack that a little bit further here in the next few minutes here, I just want us to pause for a second. I want us to pause and think about this, that these are things that as believers, uh, we would have as well. Paul is saying that these are things that come from saving grace. In other words, if you're a Christian, these are the blessings that comes from saving grace. And so what he's saying there is like, you have these things at your disposal already. You don't have to get them. So use them to complete my joy. So my question then for us, as we're trying to look at this text, my question would be for us then as a church of, are we using these things to complete each other's joy? Does does the fact that Christ died for us and his promises and his accomplishments, does that spill over into other people? The fact that God loves us when we don't deserve it, does that cause any joy to then be spilled over out into other people? What about the spiritual partner says, listen, God's given me people to depend on. God's given me people to rely upon. God's given people to bear one another's burdens. But you've got to be together for that. One of the things, I just see a trend. I see a trend. If I can just be transparent here, I see a trend in the church today, our church and other churches, is that when someone's going through a difficult time, If someone's feeling low spiritually, what do they do? They withdraw. They just stop coming, or they show up, and then they just kind of don't want to talk to anybody. Let me just tell you, as a pastor who loves this church, if you do that, you're playing into the hand of the enemy. You really are. You know, I don't have time to turn there, but there's another text Peter writes in, his, uh, in the end of his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5. He encourages the people going through suffering by reminding him, by reminding them that other people in the world are going through the same things. Now, why does he do that? Because one of the strategies of the enemy is to make us feel isolated, to make us feel like we're the only ones, make us feel like we're the only ones that have these difficulties or they have these problems. And so what happens is that we, we step back. When we're, when we're having a crisis of faith, and we talked about this a little bit in our psalm series, you know, when we have a crisis of faith, what do we do? We take a step back. No, we need to be taking a step forward in those moments. Okay? That's the time where you need to get with another brother or sister here and you need to say, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with how I can see God is good in this, but you see, no one wants to say that because you know Christians aren't supposed to say those things. But the reality is, all of us have those moments where we're like, "God, I know that you're supposed to be good in this, but I'm just having a hard time. I have a hard time." I mean, I can guarantee you, you know, the, the, the three elders in this church, Wayne, Rob, and I, if any member came to our church, came to us, and said, "I'm struggling about seeing how God is good in this. Can you help me?" Not one of us is going to say, oh, what kind of church member are you? Right? Right? What are we going to do? We're going to put our arms around you. We're going to say, we know. We get it. Let's pray together. We're going to try to push push you and encourage you and remind you of Scripture. But we're not going to look down on you. No one's going to do And the fact of the matter is, I don't think anyone else here would as well. But we assume that that's going to be the case. Now, I just got to say this. If we assume that to be of, of someone else, how loving are we towards other people for assuming the worst of them all the time? So here's the point. When you're feeling these things about, you know, feeling a, you know, a, a, a weakness, don't step back step into what God's given you. This is what Paul does. Complete my joy. He says, I want you to complete my joy, church. I know you have these things. Use them. They're at your disposal. Complete my joy. The apostle, the rock-solid apostle says to a church, complete my joy. If he does, I can say that to you, and you can say that to us each other right okay so we see now there's some prerequisites that okay though the church has these things and so we can complete joy So what's the path of this, okay? What's the path of this? Yes, it's another piece, another sermon of three Ps. Yes, I get it, okay? Alliteration, this is what preachers do. You know, we go to school to study this stuff. Okay, so, all right, the path of joy, okay? Here's the path of joy. This is what he says, complete my joy. How? Look at verse 2. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord of one mind. Then he goes into this in verse 3, but not doing anything from revelry or conceit, but in humility, right, okay? Look in verse 4, look, uh, each of you, not on his own interest, but also in the interest of others. This is how he unpacks the path of joy here. He says, Here's I know you have what it takes to give me joy, to complete my joy. Now I want you to, to, to just to be reminded of how to do this here. First of all, he says, have unified worldview. Have a unified worldview. Having the same mind. All right. And what he's getting at here is that this is this is you know, have the same priorities. And we, he, he kind of gets into this a little bit back in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, of, of standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together uh, side by side for the faith of the gospel here. And so he says, you, know, you guys, have, have, you're going to complete my joy when you have the same values, when you have the same worldview here. And that's so true here. Joy comes through unity, right? Okay? And when we have the same worldview, when we have the same values, there's joy there. One of the things that we talk about, one of the, the, the values of our church is that we want to glorify God through the making of disciples. And how do we do that? We've talked about it in the past. We've got four Gs, gather, grow, give, and go. And we've talked through this before, and there are even on that poster out there. But here's the point is that we want to have the same values here. Now, But here's the thing you need to keep in mind. Unity does not require uh, a unanimous vote. Okay. You can have difference of opinion on certain things and still enjoy unity. I know I've used this illustration before, so just act like it's the first time you've heard it. But you know, if my wife and I go out to dinner and we're having a, a nice dinner here and so, you know, we're looking at the menu and so I'm like, Man, I want the steak. It's been a long time since I had steak. I'm having steak. And the the the, the server says to my wife, and so what are you gonna have? And she's like, you know, this salad looks really good. And I'm like, <laughs> no, she's not having salad. She's having the steak, you know. And, she, you know, look is gonna be like, she's gonna be gracious at first. And so she's gonna be like, well, what? No, no, I, I want the salad, you know. I said, listen, sweetie, we need to have a unified marriage here, okay? All right? And so I'm having the steak, you have to have the steak, okay? Well, that dinner is going to turn into one very expensive fight, okay? All right? That's what that's going to turn into. Why? Because I'm insisting on being unanimous about something that doesn't really matter. We can be, have a unified dinner conversation. You know that. We don't have to have the exact same meal, right? So in a church, we have difference of opinions on certain things, but on the big thing, we have to be unified on we have to have the, the, the same worldview of how, how we're processing what's important to us. What is most important to us and, and how do we make those decisions, right? And so if you, if you have some people in the church that they're saying this is most important and we're making our decisions with this rubric and we have this group of people over here doing this, we're not going to have unity. And I'm not sensing a, a tremendous problem with this. It, it, but my point is is that it could be if, we don't, if we're not intentional about having a unified worldview. What is most important to us? You know, is, if we're saying, if, if, if we're saying we need to make disciples, we need to be reaching the community, we need to be, you know, serving the Lord in this capacity, and then other people saying, nah, it's just not my deal. Well, how are we going to have joy as a church in that, right? So my point is, is that this is something that we just have to be constantly praying about and working on. And this is why you pray for leaders, right? You pray for leaders that so we set a good tone. And then if you have a, a, a concern about some direction or something like this, talk to us. And again, there's nothing in the background here, okay? See, this is the beauty of preaching through a text. You just deal with this as what the text dictates. So if you're going, man, what is going on that he's kind of backhanded dealing with? Nothing, nothing. I'm just talk, teach, teaching the text, okay? It's the next one. But it's a good opportunity for us to be reminded this is how we have unity and joy as a church, okay? So, uh, unified worldview, moving on. Not only that, he talks about aligned affections here. He says having the same love, okay? So, again, what do we love here as a church? What, what, what is it that, that we love and we would prioritize as a church? Do we love the Word? Well, if we truly love the Word, if we love the Bible, then the Bible is very clear But Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? You know, you, you, do we love one another? You know, sometimes it's been said... Um, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Okay. Believe me, I understand why someone says that, but here's my response to that. It's not possible. It's not possible. I mean, if I went up to you and it said, Man, I love you, I just can't stand your wife. She do you do you realize how annoying she is? Do you realize that? But man, I love you, brother. We're good. Yeah. Her though? Whew you know, I mean, that's going to put a little damper on the relationship, okay, right? And rightfully so, okay? But you can't say that, oh, I love Jesus, I just hate the church, okay? The church is the bride of Christ according to the scriptures, okay? The church is the body of Christ. He's the head of this. Now, does that mean we don't have faults? Of course we have faults. Does this Does not mean we don't have flaws? Of course we have flaws. Does this mean there's not annoying people in the church? Maybe, but the point is is that the, the point is is that you know. Listen, some of you are like, "Yeah, I'm looking at one." Okay, but the point is is that uh, 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 you, you, we're not perfect, right? Okay, but we have to love one another. This is what Christ has called us to do. This is what Paul says. Remember, what's the point? Is he's saying, "Complete my joy, complete my joy, by loving one another." And you understand, I'm, I'm speaking hyperbolically a little bit for effect here, but I just want you to know that that. You know, I'm so grateful to be part of this church. You know, we're, we're coming up on 10 years here. That's hard to believe, right? In February, it be 10 years that, that we've been here. And, you know, the Lord has just caused us to just, just love these, You love this church, love each of you in so many ways, despite the candy corn. I love you. love you. Um, and, and, you know, I love that my kids have relationships here. But we just have to be people who are, are willing to talk with one another, willing to open up with one another, willing to spend time with one another. We're, we're never going to develop deep relationships if we don't spend time together. And so we don't have a whole lot of scheduled gathering points. And part of that is by design because we want you to be uh, free to have your impact in your neighborhoods and workplaces and things like that. We don't want to have such a packed schedule as a church that you're always here and you're not really reaching your neighborhood or something like that. So part of that is by design. But part of me sometimes thinks that maybe we don't have enough because we need more face time with each other. This is why you constantly hear me say, have each other over for dinner. Get together. This is one of the reasons why we have small groups, right? He like, said, get together, okay, develop those relationships. You're gonna, that's how you have an alignment of affection, right, is when you're together. And so Paul says, I, you didn't complete my joy. Have these aligned affections, right, okay? Um, and then lastly here, he talks about this idea of humble service, okay? He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, okay? And so this idea of, of it, is, it is implicit in the text here that we're active, okay? Do nothing from reverly. okay? So he's saying we've got to be doing something, and he says here's how you should be doing it, right? Through humility. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how are we serving each other? How are we serving the community here? I, I think we need to grow in some of these areas, quite frankly, and how we, we serve our community, and so the point is, is that, that this is what Christ has called us to do. But more than that, there's an effect. There's an effect that Paul is saying is going to happen to the church and to him is that there's going to be more joy. There's going to be more joy when people do these three things, when, when, people, when a church is united in their worldview, when they have aligned affections, when they have humble service to each other. He says, that's how my joy is complete. And that's how the joy of this church is being complete. So if you want more joy in your life, then this is the sermons for you. Okay? This is exactly what Paul is asking about here. But here's what I want you to see here is that uh, uh, in each of these, notice how that he's very holistic in this. In the first one, the United World, you can see the idea of a mind or head, right? And, then, and in aligned affections, in our terminology, we would say heart, okay? And then in humble service, we have our hands. And so you see, it's a really a holistic viewpoint of what Paul is getting at here, is that our entire world, our entire being should be wrapped up in this idea of following Christ. And then when we follow Christ and obey the gospel, we're going to have this effect of more joy in Our congregation and with each other it's a beautiful thing but here's the problem it's called radical individualism okay radical individualism we live in a society right now where i tell you it it is the idea of doing something for the collective is just not seen and part of this you know the american tradition and things like that and not all of it's bad but there's a lot of it that's not good and not helpful This idea of, I'm only going to do what's best for me, or I'm only going to do this because it's something that I want to do, or it doesn't, doesn't, you know, I don't understand it, there's no benefit to me to going to that, or, you know, I'm not really big on singing hymns, and so, you know, there's a hymn singing, I'm not going to go to that, Or, or, you know, I don't really want to do this, or that. When we think only in terms of ourselves, you know what we sacrifice? Joy. That's what we sacrifice. When we think only in terms of, of what is good for me and in my benefit, Paul here, he's saying complete my joy. He's saying look out from among yourselves. Look on other people. And he's saying you're going to complete joy and you're going to have joy. It's totally anti what our culture teaches. Totally anti what our intuition is because we're naturally selfish people. And so, we're giving up joy if we don't work on having a united worldview. If we're not having aligned affections, if we're not having humble service to each other, we're sacrificing joy. So, we've looked at prerequisites. Paul here, he's saying, listen, you have what it takes. I'm going to ask you to complete my joy. I'm going to prove to you that you are the ones that you have what it takes. So, it's no one came to walk away and say, okay, Paul, you want more joy. I'm just not the guy for it. So, Best wishes, Godspeed. He said, no, 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 you have what it takes. I say the same thing to you. We need more joy, okay? All right, you have what it takes, I have what it takes, okay? We can't escape this. The path of joy is what we've just talked about here. Now, let's talk as we, we round third base, and we're heading towards home plate here to use that metaphor. Here's what I want us to talk about for the last few minutes we have together here. Is that how is joy even possible? How is joy even possible? The possibility of joy how is this even possible? He gets into this in his second command here in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here he enters into this beautiful text that I'm telling you, when I say thousands of pages have been written on these following verses, that is an understatement. I mean, this is, this is one of the, the, if you were to look at uh, the Scripture, New Testament passages and peaks and things like this, this would be one of those, right? Um, You know, scholarship is divided about, uh, you know, the origins of this. Uh, Some people think it was a hymn, uh, these next few verses here that was sung by the early church. Some people think it was a poem. Uh, Some people think that it was uh, a creed or a statement of faith. Uh, Whatever it was um, that the early church used, whatever it was, um, because you can just tell by the syntax of it, um, it was something that was uh, uh, obvious to them. And it was one of the clearest expressions of Jesus' deity here, okay? And, um... Uh, yeah, I'll get into this in a few minutes here. So, first of all, follow Jesus' example. Let me—I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. in My notes here. So, first of all, follow Jesus' example. This is the possibility of joy. Is that we have to follow Jesus' example, who, uh, verse six, who though he was in the form of God, remember that word form, he did not equality, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Okay, here we have this this very famous text here amongst theologians of, there's some interesting words here, and it's very important that we see this. Here's what we have about Jesus, the example of Jesus, is that he was God, he became man, and he became a servant. Okay? Look at the progression. God, man, servant. Because here you know when you see and some people look at verse 6 and this will be helpful to you if you've ever come across this. some people say see look here the text says that he was in the form of God he was not truly God he was only in the appearance of God and so he really was a good man not a god some some religious teach us there's a problem with that though the problem is well there's many problems but one problem with that is that that word form there is morphē okay that's what the underlying Greek word is now the reason why that's important is because for us, when we see form, or even the word morph, we have this idea of of outward uh, uh, appearances, metamorphosis, we change the outward appearance, things like this, okay? Well, the Greek word doesn't mean that. There actually is a Greek word for that. It's called schema, okay, about the outward manifestation. The inward manifestation, though, is this word morphe, this idea of the essence of someone, who that person truly is, the actual essence of the person. That's what morphe means. So when, when Paul's here, you know, chose this word, to use this word, though he was in the form of God, he's not saying the outward manifestation. He's saying he is the actual essence of God himself. That's what he's saying here. So think about this. This is Jesus' example that we're supposed to follow. He starts as God, okay? Then he becomes a man. He humbles himself, okay? Uh, and then not only does that, when he became a human, because he, when he became a human, he could have come as the most powerful human that ever lived. I mean, he could have. I mean, he could have come as, as the most mighty, the most strong, you know, superhero type thing. He could have come that way. That's not what he did. He came as a servant, okay? This is what he did. Now, the problem is, or not the problem, but, but the, 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 diff, the, the, the example that we need to follow is that we, we have to follow example because we, we flip that. We want to become God. We're always trying to become God. In fact, there's so many times that we, we, we you know, here, he, Jesus says, you know, being God wasn't something that I was clinging hold on to so much that I was willing to, to, to take a human form. I was actually become a human to live as a servant for their salvation. I was willing to give up so much for that. Whereas we're at the opposite. We're always trying to grab or We're trying to be God. He said, no, Jeremy. You talked about hyperbole earlier, and you're kind of slipping into it again, because I've never thought of myself as God, and I've never tried to be God. I know I'm not God. I know I'm a sinner. Uh, but I, you give yourself too much credit. And here's the reason. Because if you've ever thought to yourself, you know, oh, I know what the Bible says, but you've just made yourself God. Right or wrong? Right? I mean, if you say, well, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm just not doing it because... I'm not happy doing that, or I don't like doing that, or I don't want to do that. You've just made yourself God. And so here's the, the, the example that we need to follow is that, is that we need to follow Christ here. And that's the reason why joy is possible is because we can follow His example that He's given to us here. Um, and of course, all this starts... Uh, with this mind that we're supposed to have and do the time i need to move on to that so i, I told you there's way too much here to, to to unpack here but so follow so not only to follow christ's example so christ's example of humility okay that's what we need to be following not the other way around we try to go up in in, in christ came down the, here's the thing about the christian life the way for up is down okay we humble ourselves then we're exalted that's the way of christianity okay? That's what Jesus did. But we need to also imitate his mind. Unity happens when we all look to Christ before looking at each other people, looking at each other okay? That's how unity happens. When we're, when we're looking at Christ first, if all of us, think about it this way, if all of us were looking at Christ first, before we interacted with each other, how different would it be? Think of it like this. It's like a triangle, right? You got the point up here, and we're all going at this. If we're all focused on each other, what is, if we're all focused on Christ, what's going to happen is that as we're getting closer to Christ, we're getting closer to each other, okay? And so here's what here's this mind of Christ here that we have that's been told to have here is that we need to make sure that we're all looking to Christ and we're having His mind transform us, right? So we got to ask ourselves, what is Jesus' worldview? How did, you know, what values or what shaped His values as a human? Those are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. So what, what, what was important to Jesus? That's what needs to be important to us. If we do this, then we're going to have more joy with each other. There's going to be more unity. If we're all looking to the same source, but the problem is when we don't look at the same source, that's when disunity happens. How did he see people of his day? How does Jesus, how do you think Jesus sees the same people you see at work every day? That's a question to ask. How how does Jesus see these people? You see, if we're all thinking in those terms, you know, of like, okay, the situation, maybe you're in a conflict with someone, you know, maybe, maybe you and your spouse are having a disagreement or whatever, and you just stop and ask yourself, okay, how is Jesus seeing this person right now? Boy, that shapes a lot right there. Doesn't mean you've got to give in to everything, but just, okay, okay. It, it brings the temperature down. All of a sudden, the, what's most important rises to the top. How did Jesus serve? What would he do in your home or your office or even in this church? If you want a a good book on this idea of following Jesus' example, and this is a short little book, I have actually a couple copies if you want to borrow one. When I say short, I'm talking it's like maybe 50 pages long and it's really short. It's called The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness. Um, you can probably even get a free PDF version of it online. Uh, Tim Keller wrote it. Very helpful book about this. Uh, read it years ago, and it was just really helpful to me, but The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I put it on the bottom of the handouts. It's also on the, uh, the app, the, uh, the sermon resources there imitate the mind of christ you see joy is possible because of what christ has accomplished and joy is possible because our minds can be renewed you say well that's good that jesus has his mind but i've got mind. i'm a sinner this is why jesus says this is why the scripture says that we need to be renewing our minds this is romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 we renew our minds according to christ jesus so again time has escaped me so i finish with this again reminding you that it is impossible to have joy without unity and how we have unity how we pursue unity as a church is that we got to all follow christ and think about this is that the apostle paul says i need more joy in my life and who did he look to he looked to the church so when you say i need more joy in my life follow the example Look to the church, right, through Jesus Christ, okay? I'm not saying that we are perfect, but no, it's like it's here that we should be pointing each other to Jesus Christ because there's so many times where we want to follow God, but we're just tired or we're weak, and we need other people to help us in that. So the reason why this is so important is because joy hangs in the balance,